0: Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced, registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission, what I stand for, is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher. One who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and effectively so that you can help your students learn, and as a result, grow your impact and connection. This mission reflects the core ways of being that I work to develop in teachers. Confidence, clarity, purpose, impact, and connection. Through my mentorship program and my online learning program called Your Yoga Anatomy Blueprint, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, but almost more importantly, help them learn how to move beyond their self-limiting beliefs so that they can be strong, confident, and clear when they teach. I know from experience that personal barriers are just as important to address as learning anatomy for teachers. I also recognize that the current system of training teachers is leaving them with a gap, both in their anatomy knowledge and areas of personal growth. I hear more times than not, I graduated from my teacher training, but I'm too afraid to teach. My mission is to help you move past the fear, embrace your true nature, teach you the key aspects of anatomy so you're armed with what you need to know to be an effective teacher and coach you along the way. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information on my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. My name is Karen Fabian, and I want to welcome you to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, and this is episode 62. So I want to start out just by posing a question to you all. Have you ever heard a yoga teacher give a warning and you're not sure of the reason behind it? Maybe it's something like don't put your foot on your knee when uh, the teacher is asking you to come into tree pose. So we're gonna talk about things like that today, not from the perspective of what's right and what's wrong, but more from the perspective of how can you analyze statements like these to better determine how to apply them to your body, if you're practicing in class, or you're teaching. Because ultimately, and I'm going to get into this a little bit more, it's not in my mind really about being right. And this is absolutely not um, one of those kind of clickbait articles where you you might see the headline, 10 things I would never say, say as a yoga teacher. This is not that this is um, a little bit more of uh, i don't want to say a higher level because it sounds kind of snobby but it's really more about how can you better understand some of these things you hear so that you can make a more reasoned decision about how to apply it to your body or whether it's something you might want to communicate when you're teaching so i want you to imagine here you know, kind of before we get into the content, I want you to imagine that you're the kind of teacher who confidently shares information with your students, not to convince them, right? Not to brainwash them, not to convince them, not to scare them, but to guide them. One who isn't worried about being right but instead has a really obvious joy and passion and excitement around sharing the information that they know so that you can help your students have a better understanding of their bodies and that's really you know kind of a vision that i have for myself you know i have a couple of different visions that kind of frame what i do you know, and that's one of them that I really hope I embody, that I I just have this, you know, excitement for sharing anatomy. And I think, um, you know, when I look at the reviews I get on the testimonial pages for my workshops, when I hand them out at the end of workshops, and then I bring them home and I review them for, for feedback, I get feedback. You know, it's obvious she really loves this content. She made it so interesting. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I'm saying that because it's really true. I mean, I'm the kind of person that if you take me to a dinner party and someone brings up something about uh, a body ache or pain or yoga poses or muscle soreness, I'll really excitedly start a conversation with them. And sometimes I actually have to kind of tone it down and remember kind of the context of where I'm at. So... That's really, you know, that's the kind of teacher that I'm looking to connect with. Um, You know, someone who has a genuine interest in sharing anatomy and isn't so much learning it so you can go around and say, oh, don't do this, don't do that, but so that you can develop a higher level process for reviewing information that you hear and deciding based upon what you know. And then maybe deciding you need to go out and research it more before you start using kind of generalized um, phrases or cues or guidelines or rules or warnings, right? A warning is certainly something like, you know, wait a minute, I have to stop doing this, you know, like saying to a student, no, 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 don't do that. Or I wouldn't do that. and. I mean, I would say if you're going to give a warning, you better have a really good reason for giving it because it really does have kind of a shock value to it. So that's just kind of a little bit about kind of the, a way of being that I hope to inspire you to have, that I hope to instill in you, um, that maybe even I hope to spark in you so that as you're you know, listening to the podcast here, maybe you're a member of my anatomy Facebook group, You'll start to maybe look at things a little differently because honestly, I really feel like in the yoga industry, there is quite a bit of group think, right? And by that, I mean, oh, this is what we say. Oh, this is how we teach it. Oh, this is... And it's just kind of the masses just kind of following along and what I'm really hoping to do is not so much draw a line in the sand, but give you more of just frameworks for these things so that you can develop your own style, pulling into it what you see of value. And all along the way, appreciating that anatomy has got to be part of your understanding for movement. It can't be something that you just kind of toss to the side and say, yeah, I don't even really focus on that. It just can't be, you know, if that's your, um, your feeling, this is definitely not the podcast for you. And you're, I'm definitely not the teacher for you to follow. Um, but if you're, you know, really truly believing that anatomy and understanding anatomy is a big part of being to being effective in teaching movement, you know, this is, this is definitely right up your alley. And then just developing different ways to present the information that you know, rather than trying to just kind of go along with what everybody is doing. For instance, for any of you that has watched my my, um, webinar on cues, I break down the cues that you can use into four categories, action, alignment, anatomy, and feeling-based. And I do that because I want teachers to have a framework to be able to develop their own way of presenting cues based upon knowledge that they gain, right? Rather than me just saying, here's the cues to use, go out and use them. You know, because sometimes people, many times actually people say to me in trainings or on Facebook group page or questions I get like what should I say for this or what should I say for that you know so rather than me prescribing the answer I would much rather give you a format that you can then use to develop your own way knowing that if I give you the format and I also help you develop your knowledge you're gonna be much better armed at becoming an effective teacher rather than just depending on what you were told, right? Because there's nothing less empowering than to say to a student, oh, well, that's the way I was taught if they ask you a question about why you're presenting something in one way. That absolutely drives me crazy when people say that. You have to, as a teacher, completely own what you are saying, right? If you've ever read The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, that first one, be impeccable with your word. That's what that means, right? It means you're not just parroting what you heard. You can, I don't wanna say defend, but you can provide a rationale for what you're saying. Because that's really what we're doing as teachers. We're saying in the context of the practice, do this, do that, do this, do that, do it this way, do it that way. And there's plenty of opportunities for people to come up to you after class and say, hey, why, why do we do it that way? And, you know, I don't want to say just about the worst thing, but it kind of breaks my heart (laughs) that I even hear this from senior teachers. Well, that's the way I was taught. And that's really a problem with the industry. We have a format for conveying information that isn't developing teachers in a way that's empowering them and that is giving them these kind of templates and processes. We're basically just telling them what to say. So again, this is, def, you know, this is all of what you're going to get here on the podcast, in the Facebook group. I mean, honestly, a lot of times when people ask me questions in the Anatomy Facebook group, as just happened yesterday, I had a long string of back and forth with two teachers in particular. And I know that they wanted me to tell them the answer. Well, why would you say this or why would you say that? And quite frankly, I, I didn't want, I refused. I just kept giving them a little bit of the anatomy information and then asking them a question. So now that I've given you that, what do you think? Right. And it's really forcing teachers to break away from that stuff they've heard, even from people like their physical therapists. Right? Like in one case, I was having a back and forth with a teacher and she was referring to what her physical therapist told her. You know, and it's like, hey, look, if it's your body and you're in physical therapy, you've got to have a good understanding of what does the trapezius do? What are the shoulders doing? Is it really stretching the lower back when you're doing the such and such a pose? Right. And then even more so when you're going into a classroom and you're teaching a group of people, you really need to know is it doing what you're saying? And that's, you know, it's, it's basically like if you went to a therapist and the therapist said, okay, so here's what you need to do to feel better. Or even here's a better uh, analogy, you know, in, in The Wizard of Oz, right? At the very end of The Wizard of Oz, when she says, well, if I had the power to go home all along, why didn't you just tell me in the beginning? And what, is the, what does he say? You had to figure it out for yourself. And so she never forgot it because she figured it out for herself. And that's the kind of teacher that I am. I am not going to just tell you a bunch of stuff. I am going to help you be more inquisitive, more curious, and give you the tools that will help you um, go out there and learn and then have a process by which you can evaluate. In this case, we're going to talk about today, different things you hear. And in my mind, that's a much more powerful way to teach and a much better way to ensure long-term real learning than to just tell you, tell you the answer. Oh yeah, don't do this because it's going to blah, 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 your IT band. I'm not going to, you know, I mean, yeah, there are going to be some things that are going to come up in discussion, but I I hope you get what I'm saying. It's a different style of teaching. Uh, Okay, so we've kind of framed that a little bit. I wanna just mention a couple things. So I'm recording this on March 10th, although you'll probably hear it sometime after that, a couple of days uh, from now, when I get it posted. Um, March 20th is the last day to sign up for my Costa Rica retreat. Um, I wanna just kind of be, be transparent. I know that right now, since we're as a world, dealing with the impact of the coronavirus, you may have some concerns about going on any trips. So I want you to think about this. Number one, this trip is in June, June 20th. So it gives us a lot of time as a global community to get a better handle on this virus. So that's good. It's much better than if I was saying, hey, let's let's go to Costa Rica next week. Number two, you're definitely gonna get travel insurance and you're gonna get it to the level that you feel comfortable with. Um, I can tell you as the travel host, I am getting the maximum amount of insurance possible, right, as the, I mean, retreat host. So you're gonna do that. And number three, when we go to this retreat, regardless of you know, what's happening uh, with COVID at that point, you are not in close quarters with other people You know, we're going to have plenty of space between the mats. It's not a retreat like you might see on social media where there are a hundred people smushed together, you know, crawling all over one another, hugging and kissing and all that. This is not that, right? It's not like a personal transformation thing. So that's just, you know, a little bit about kind of that particular concern, if you have it, and how... I plan on addressing it. I can assure you that I have a clinical background. I'm obviously not a physician or a clinician in the the true sense of the word. I've worked in hospital settings. I've worked with physicians for the beginning of my my career. I have a strong, strong appreciation for um, medicine and science and I would never ever put you at risk. So we're gonna keep track of it or I'm gonna keep track of it with the travel group that I'm uh, coordinating this trip with and we would never ever put you at risk. So that's number one. So now that I've addressed that, let's just kind of get to the good stuff. The good stuff is this is a retreat and training. So that means as a teacher, you're gonna get training time. You're also gonna get vacation time. You can also bring someone who is not a teacher. I've had a couple people inquire, hey, can my husband come? Hey, can my girlfriend come? You know, they're not a teacher. Of course, the guest list right now is a mix of teachers and practitioners, right? People who just like to do healthy things. The retreat center is amazing. Uh, Bodhi Tree Yoga Resort, beautiful place, um, great reviews. You can read them on on, uh, TripAdvisor. Really nice accommodations, not kind of low budget, you know, Kind of stuff. All the meals are included. I specifically wanted that because I didn't want you guys to have to go out at night and figure out where you're going to eat, all that. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, all included. Workshops in the afternoon are optional. If you are a teacher and you want to you know, gain a better understanding of anatomy and movement and applying it to teaching, this is going to be kind of the next level way to do it. I have a lot of other things that I offer, programs and services, books, online programs, Obviously when you work with me in person, you get the biggest impact. So so there's that. Everybody's gonna do yoga in the morning with meditation, a really restorative practice, a short one before dinner. So that's gonna just be kind of part of the event. And um, at this point, the, the deadline is March 20th, and there are only a couple spots left. I'd say there's probably about four. So maybe five we can do more people. So don't wait. If you are interested, just go to my website right on the homepage. You will see the link. The website is barebonesyoga.com. So I want to get into today's episode with more of the content. I have more things I want to share with you, just kind of general announcements, but let's get to the to the bulk of this. And then I can tell you that uh, those things at the end. But I want you to stay tuned. So please don't get to the end of the content and then just bail because these other things are important. So let's kind of go back to this idea of you know these kind of overarching you know themes and that you might hear right and so what I'm I'm framing here for you is to devise a way to understand some of the cues and anatomical reasoning that is out there in the yoga industry around anatomy biomechanics, and movement, right? I'm not talking about energy, healing, or chakra, or yoga philosophy, like I'm obviously focusing on anatomy, which is my specialty. So the reason, I think I went into quite a bit in the intro about the reason why I'm focusing on this today. I will say, and I do wanna acknowledge, in my training over the weekend at Wonder Yoga, this came up in um, some conversations I had on Facebook yesterday, uh, in the Bare Bones Yoga Anatomy Facebook group, this came up. So I'm often inspired by real time things, scenarios, conversations, um, things that happen to me in class. And I use that as the basis for a podcast episode because, you know, that's obviously more applicable than if I just pick random things out of my head. So I'm focusing on this because I know that this is, I don't wanna say rampant, but kind of a thing <laughs> in the yoga uh, world that people tend to pick up what other people say and then, you know, kind of say it as well without a really good understanding of what's behind it. Like what is the rationale? And I think I've certainly in the beginning talked a lot about why I want you to not do that. You know, one of the best ways to instill greater confidence in yourself as a teacher and to convey that to your students is to know why you're saying what you say. (laughs) You know, it sounds kind of, Trite and sort of obvious, right? But again, that's not how we are training our teachers. And so this is a different approach. And this is, you know, what I'm about and the way I want to support you and your growth. So, what I'm going to end up doing, and, you know, this was a little bit hard for me because a lot of this I do unconsciously. Like, I have devoted the better part of the past 25 years. To understanding anatomy, human movement, biomechanics from a lot of different lenses. I started out as, as a physical therapy student at Boston University. I ended up halfway into the program getting my undergrad in rehab counseling. I worked in a clinical setting as part of a rehab team with head injured patients. You know, I worked as a rehab counselor and a clinical social worker. I mean, and on and on, right, into healthcare, on the business side, into yoga teaching, and then teaching since 2002. So this is my path, right? This is, you know, my dharma, what I was meant to do. And so sometimes when I try to kind of work backwards and define like how it is that I look at some of these things, I... I try to break it down into kind of an organized format because i want you to be able to use that format maybe not exactly but maybe parts of it so that you can um look at things in kind of an analytical way too and to keep an open mind right and to again let go of that desire to be right right that's always a good rule even in life especially in this climate right now let go of the desire to be right, and come at it more from really two perspectives. How can I be of service, right? And that's a great one for us as teachers. And how can I understand more about your perspective, right? And this is a big thing when it comes to the kind of stuff we're going to start talking about, because in many cases, the reason these kind of grandiose rules and guidelines and statements and cues that fall into this category that we're talking about today, we don't have a chance to ever talk to the person and ask them, like, I need to understand more. Why are you saying this? Why are you saying, don't put your foot on your knee and tree? It will damage your knee. Why? Tell me why. And sometimes when by the time I hear about the statement or the cue, um, the person isn't in the class with... The teacher who said it. So there's no opportunity. So like yesterday in the Facebook group, I basically said to the person who I was having the conversation with, the teacher, I, I said, look, I have no idea what the rationale is for that statement because I have no opportunity to inquire to the person, the teacher, who you heard it from. So I would really, not to be a wise-ass, but I would really, really, when you're in these moments and they're happening live, wait after class is done and approach the teacher and just be like coming at it from the perspective of inquiry of learning their point of view hey i was just wondering you had mentioned blah 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 can you share a little bit about what that's about i'm curious i'd not heard that before and just see what they say right and again when you let go of the need to be right it just gives you so much freedom brings your blood pressure down and then You know, then you can decide for yourself, maybe go home and do some research and see what you think. So again, this idea of me coming up with a template for you, this is going to be what I wrap up this conversation with so that you have a framework for looking at these kinds of things on your own. So the first, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. And again, I want to really, really, really preface this by saying you know, if you hear some of these things and you've been saying them, I do not want you to feel badly or I do not want you to feel picked on. Obviously, I can't tell you how to feel. You're going to feel how you feel. But this is not about that. This is about a couple things that came up recently in conversations I've had with teachers. They just happen to be the cues <laughs> that I picked. There are probably hundreds of them. Okay. So the first one is come into bridge and contract your glutes. The converse, which apparently is also out there, is come into bridge and don't contract your glutes because you'll hurt your back. So okay, so let's think about this. and and As I talk about each one, it's going to give you a window into the framework, the template that I'm going to share with you at the end. And again, this is a way for me to give you a framework. So then you can go off and analyze all these things on your own and start to become that teacher who's not about being right, who's not about just saying stuff, who's about understanding, doing the work, doing the research to fill in the knowledge gaps, right? All of that. So, okay, coming to bridge and contract your glutes. So let's think about bridge. I'm back, feet flat, feet hip width apart, lift your hips off the ground, right? So I'm just giving you action-based cues. Interlace your fingers underneath you, draw your shoulder blades closer together, push off your feet, lift your hips, take three breaths, right? So just very action-oriented, you know, stuff, uh, cues. So what anatomical position are the hips in when you come into bridge? What are you doing? If you're laying on your back and then you lift your hips up, what's happening with your hips. And I want you to remember, I'm talking joint action. I am not talking muscle. I'm not talking muscular action. So anatomical actions refer to what's happening at the joint, not necessarily, well, really not what's happening with the muscles. The muscles are creating the joint action. So when I say, hey, what joint action is in bridge, let's just say with respect to the hips, what would you say? Right? So if you said hip extension, you are correct. If you said bilateral hip extension, you're even double correct, no pun intended, because both hips are in extension, right? So bilateral refers to both sides, as opposed to if I'm in warrior one, I have not really unilateral hip extension. You don't really say it that way. You would just say right hip is in flexion. If the right foot is forward, left hip is in extension, right? So that's not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with both hips are moving into extension. So if we're moving the hips into extension, both of them, the next thing we could possibly ask, even in general, if we're just analyzing the pose, let alone this cue we're hearing to um, come into bridge and contract your glutes. If we're coming into bridge and we're uh, extending the hips, who is doing that? Right? And I almost like to pose it as a who, like it's a person, you know, of course I'm referring to the muscle. Who's doing that? If you're extending your hips by pushing off the floor, some muscle has got to be contracting. And I want you to be really specific about the verbiage you use here, because this is where yoga teachers can get really, um, I don't want to say sloppy because I know that's going to kind of trigger you, but lazy maybe. Or they don't know, and so they just say words, thinking that one of the words is going to be right. So let's, let's be you know, specific here and clear about what we're saying. If we're saying we're coming into bridge and the hips are moving into extension and we say, hey, who's doing that? What we're really asking is what muscle is concentrically, cre- concentrically contracting to create the joint movement of hip extension? Right now, everything that I just said in that sentence is important, right? I'm not saying important because I said it. I'm just saying it's all relevant to what we're trying to be accurate around when we describe it. Um, So hips moving into extension, we already talked about that. Uh, Who is doing that, i.e. what muscle is concentrically contracting? What that means is the muscle creating the action Is the one that's concentrically contracting. It's doing the work. It's the prime mover. Its fibers, its muscle fibers are shortening, right? And I don't want to get too much into things at the level of the muscle fibers because that's not, you know, quite frankly, a level to which I go to a lot in my training because I really think you can get kind of caught in the weeds and miss out on the global understanding of what you need to know. So for now, let's think about muscles that are prime movers, are doing the work. Those are concentrically contracting muscles. If you want to go a little bit more into the description of that, the muscle fibers are shortening. So who is concentrically contracting? What muscle is concentrically contracting? to allow to create the action of hip extension? Well, it's gluteus maximus. It's not the glutes, (laughs) hate to tell you, right? Calling stuff the glutes, even when personal trainers do it, is again, kind of a lazy thing because it gives the practitioner the perspective that glutes are just one mass of muscle that somewhere around your your you know your seat, when that's not true, you have your gluteus maximus, your gluteus medius, and your gluteus minimus, and they are on different parts of the body. Glute min and glute med kind of in the same part because one's on top of the other, but sure, sure. I mean, the glute max is not on the side like glute medius and glute minimus; it's on the back and it's the maximus it's the gluteus maximus it's the biggest one so i mean and this is even one of those things that you know you know is out there when i go to those dinner parties and people say oh my glutes or oh my rotator cuff and i'm like well what what muscle oh i didn't even know there were different parts my doctor just told me my rotator cuff is torn like this is part of what's out there it's just this kind of general understanding right but i don't want you to be that i want you to have a a good understanding, which is why I'm kind of harping on some of this stuff. So okay, so we say bridge, hip extension, who's the prime mover, who's doing the hip extension, gluteus maximus. And then we can't forget that things don't work in isolation, and this is always one of the risks when we uh, study anatomy we start to think of things in parts, in a segmented way, and it's just not the way the body works. So who else might be helping us with hip extension? Well, if you said the hamstrings, you'd be right. How many hamstrings do you have? You have three, Uh, biceps femoris, semimembranosus and semitendinosus. And um, collectively they're known as the hamstrings and they work collaboratively um, as a synergist. They do the same thing. They help the gluteus maximus. Now, I'm not going to get a ton into muscle compensations, but if your glute max is weak, your hamstrings will take over and then your hamstrings can become the prime mover. And when you're doing hip extension, you really want your glute max to be the prime mover. And so that's just a little bit about you know, kind of what happens under the skin and what can happen when we have unhealthy movement patterns. So, okay. So we say, all right, great. So now we know, let's go back to the statement, come into bridge and contract your glutes. So this is what's always curious to me. If I come into bridge, just the reality of me extending my hips bilaterally means I'm using my glutes. I have to be. (laughs) all right? Otherwise, I'm not going to get my hips off the floor. Now, you might be out there thinking, yeah, but what if the person's kind of not really lifting too much, or I look at them and it looks really lazy, like their seat is just kind of sinking down? Well, yeah, you might want to say push off more. But even someone like that is contracting their glute max to some degree. Otherwise, their seat would not be off the ground at all. So my thought when someone says come into bridge and contract your glutes is that it's a bit repetitive because you don't even really need to say to the student, do it. They're already doing it. Now, having said that, let's think about this. Now that we know glute max is the uh, prime mover, and we know that to be the prime mover, the muscle has to be concentrically contracting, what if we wanted to kind of add a little more contraction, right? We wanted to kind of make that contraction a little stronger. Well, we could emphasize what is already happening by asking them to contract their, uh, the muscles around their sitting bones, the muscles around their seat. I don't really like to say squeeze your butt, but um, you know, I don't really like to use that phraseology. So I usually just say, you know, as you're lifting your hips, I mean, I don't usually say this, but I sometimes maybe say this, as you're lifting your hips, contract a little more. See if you can feel the muscles engaging a little bit more that are around your seat by just squeezing a little bit around your sitting bones. So here's here's like where it all comes together. Why the hell would I say that? (laughs) Right, like if someone came up to you after class and said, hey, why did you ask us to squeeze around our seat? So here's what I would say, and here's the rationale that I would have. If I was teaching a class uh, late in the day, I would assume that most people would have been sitting all day. And so when you're sitting, your hips are in flexion, and it's also a passive position. So if your hips are in flexion, your gluteus maximus is not concentrically contracting, it's passively stretching. And a passively stretched muscle over time gets weak. So what's a good way to strengthen a muscle that's passively stretching all day? Actively contract it. Now, you could say, well, hey, just by lifting up off the ground, aren't you actively contracting it? And I would say, yes. If I ask them, though, to squeeze a little more, it's even more of that. So that's my rationale. You may have a different one. You may not agree, but that's mine. And, you know, honestly, I could just stop the podcast right now and just kind of go with that example. I really hope that you see how that is a complete package presented in an intelligent way with no need to be right or wrong, but to provide you with a clearer understanding of what's going on, and is using correct anatomical terminology in the explanation of what's happening, right? And that's what I want for you, right? And you may be listening to this thinking, God, she's going on and on and on. I get it. I get it. You know... Honestly, I really don't feel like this is what's out there. I feel like it's just saying the words. So that's why I'm kind of making a point of it. Okay, so we have that, right? So we're good with that. So what about the converse? When people say, don't contract your glutes when you come into bridge because you'll hurt your lower back. Okay, so let's think about that. So based on everything I just said, how are you going to come into bridge and not contract your glutes? Like that to me would be really hard because, you know, just by lifting your hips, you're contracting your glutes. There you go. So I don't know how you cannot do that. Now, what it could be, right? And this is where I'm kind of scratching my head. I don't have a chance to ask the person that was like the originator of this theme or anybody who says it after, you know, at this point is out there saying that. Um, Maybe like when we think about the gluteus maximus, uh, it has a pretty, it's a pretty big muscle. So it's got a a rather broad insertion and origin and where is it? It's on the back of the body. So it does have a connection to the lower back. Now, I don't know, I'm still kind of stumped as to why actively contracting your gluteus maximus would hurt your lower back. Um, I don't know, If, if any of you out there listening has kind of the rationale. Uh, send me an email, Karen at barebonesyoga.com, and we can talk about it. And I can even bring it up in the next podcast. So, again, I'm, I'm kind of at this point, I'm kind of stumped. Now, the one thing I want to share with you is you need to keep in mind degree, matter of degree. You know, you can kind of think of it maybe too as intensity. Everything has a range, right? If I ask you to reach your arms up in the air, like in Warrior One, and I look at you and you're lifting your scapula up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, I'm definitely gonna tell you to relax a little bit, right? Cause I don't want the degree of scapular elevation to be too much. I'm probably not, I don't think I'm ever gonna tell you to drop your shoulder blades cause I know that's gonna make you depress them too much. So I know that there are some cues that are gonna to get too much of the action that I just want in a kind of a moderate way. And I want you to keep this theme of degree in mind because degree, range of motion, you know, intensity, all of that makes a difference when we're talking about this stuff. Right? If I ask somebody to come up into bridge and contract the glutes and I see that they're gripping so much that their jaw is clenched, yeah, that's too much. <laughs> right? So you have to factor that in along with all these other factors that you don't even know which is stuff like the physical condition of the person, you know, their body awareness, if they have any injuries right now, if they have an injury brewing, right? If someone has, you know, a lumbar disc issue and they come into bridge and they really really contract their glutes a lot, could that have a negative impact on that disc? I mean, possibly. Uh, It's hard to say, we can't see in the body. This is why it can be really helpful to teach from the perspective of the middle road. And by that, I mean to look for in everything that you present, what's the middle road here? I'm not trying to bring people to their end range either way, right? I'm not asking them to stretch as much as they can stretch. I'm not asking them to contract as much as they can contract, and I'm definitely not asking them to passively lengthen by just hanging out in poses, specifically like poses like low lunges and half pigeon, right? I'm looking more for middle of the road, good integrity in the posture, right? It looks solid. It has a good foundation, right? The student can breathe. There's nothing overly exaggerated, right? So, those are just some qualities. You know, when I was in teacher training this weekend, there was another one of these things that someone brought up, and, you know, the teacher was saying, like, but you hear this, you hear this, like, I don't understand. She was kind of just like, but I don't get it. Why would teachers be saying this if it can, you know, kind of take somebody out of a healthy range of motion? Well, there's lots of reasons, right? People don't understand anatomy, who are teaching yoga. Um, People don't really have an appreciation for staying in the middle lane, right? And there's like a whole bunch of other reasons. And this is where you get to decide, friends. You get to decide. And this is what I said to her. You get to decide the kind of teacher you want to be. And I highly encourage you to think about that rather than get sucked up into just what everybody else is doing. If this stuff is important to you, and you know, I can give you a bunch of reasons why teaching in the middle lane in a style that's in the middle lane is super healthy for the long-term health of your students, um, but you can probably figure that stuff out, right? I don't need to kind of lay it out for you. The, the thing that I'm trying to get to is if this is important to you and you believe in this kind of thing, then you get to teach this way. No one's gonna come to you and say, you have to teach and have students, you know, do all this stuff at the end range and do all these like double binds and everything. And guess what? If you're teaching in a studio and that's their quote, style and presentation of yoga, you don't have to teach there, right? This is where you get to stand up. That's one of the beautiful things about being an independent yoga teacher. You get to create your own brand, your own style, You know, my feeling is it should be rooted in knowledge, you know, but you get to decide. And I really like when this person asked me that question, I really saw, (laughs) you know, this is what's out there. Like people are going and they're taking classes and then they come to trainings and they're like, but why is it like that when they hear the things I say? I'm like, well, that's, that is out there, but guess what? You can decide the way you want it to be when people come to your classes. If they want the really bendy stuff, the end range stuff, they're not gonna come to my classes, right? If that's something that you like, maybe they'll come to yours. So that's my thought on that. All right, so let's look at a different one. I got two more (laughs) and this is going way longer than I thought. That's okay. Uh, Okay, so let's quickly go through this one because I mentioned it at the beginning. Um, don't put your foot on your knee. You can put your foot above your knee or below your knee. So this one I've heard for 15, 16 years, and it really was only about five or six years ago. I just started to kind of like scratch my head, which is kind of scary considering all I know about anatomy. It was kind of like, why did it take me even that long to have this thing stand out? Um, so let's just kind of think about this again using that framework. So you've got your knee, which is a hinge joint, but it's also a bit of a pivot joint because you know when you do pigeon, you're not moving your knee in flexion; you're moving your shin uh, inward. So you have that kind of uh, lateral movement of your shin or medial movement of your shin. So you know it's not just a hinge. Um, It's more of a kind of a hybrid joint. And so that's your knee. And, and you probably also know your knee is a capsule. Uh, there's a capsule around the joint itself, the connection between the femur and the tibia. You have the condyles of the femur that rest in the little like indentations on the tibia. And you've got um, tendons and ligaments that support the joint um, on the back and on the sides. And the other thing that you might not be super aware of is the impact of fascia and the fascial system which is a connective tissue system on the body and especially the joints and that that network and I won't go into it in tons of detail um I have a whole podcast episode on fascia if you scroll back you'll you'll find it um it creates a sense of buoyancy right so it really prevents kind of that crashing of our bones together and and provides buoyancy there's a kind of a um a fluid quality to it, a dynamic quality to it. Um, uh, the ground substance that's part of the fascial network and the hyaluronic acid um, creates a viscosity that creates buoyancy. And so all those things together uh, provide kind of support for the joint itself. Now, my general sense, without ever having. Talk to somebody about this cue when they have used it is that people are worried that the pressure of the foot on the knee will damage the knee joint. So I want you to think about when you go to the gym and you pick up a weight, or you sit on your seat and kick out your leg in the hamstring strengthening machine, or you you know you do standing lunges with a twist so you're you're twisting and pivoting your knee you do a squat i mean any variety of movement your knee is withstanding that movement to the degree that you have good body mechanics and good muscular support and i think the intention of that cue is to prevent too much pressure from the foot on the knee, it just seems that the knee can withstand quite a bit more pressure than the foot could actually provide. And so what we do when we use a cue like that is we scare people into thinking that their body is like really fragile, is is my opinion. Um, What we could do is we could say, okay, hey, let's see. We're standing on one leg. It's a balance. We have our foot on the side of our standing leg. So what muscles do we want to cue to to create stability? So as soon as I have somebody stand on one leg, they need to depend on muscles on that leg that are on the side of the leg to keep the pelvis from dipping down and being uneven. So here's where glute medius, Glute minimus, uh, tensor fascial lata, IT band, all come into play. So if I want to cue to those lateral stabilizers to create stability, I might ask the person to, you know, hug the sides of the hips in. I could even cue them to use a little bit of their rectus abdominis, draw the belly button in. I could cue them to kind of leverage their standing leg and kind of the ground reaction forces from a biomechanical perspective, they'll get. Um, in a positive way, if they root into their standing leg, and I can ask them to relax their upper hip, the one on the bent side, so that their hips are level. And so as soon as I cue to how to create right action in the standing leg, I create more integrity in the pose. And all of this stuff about don't press your foot into your knee becomes less of an issue because now they're steadier. So that's my thought on that. And that's a little bit of the template and the application of the template to that particular cue. So let's do one more. So this last one that I was talking about in the Facebook group yesterday is hero pose is bad for runners or the converse. Hero pose is great for runners. And the fact that you know this teacher was like, I've heard it both ways. <laughs> Is, you know, it's just an illustration of how confused people are out there because they're saying like one way and then some people are saying the complete other way. So I'm just gonna cover the bad for runners part. So let's think about runners as a group. So here's like, I'm going through the analyzation of this when I hear this. I'm like, okay, runners as a group. What are runners as a group doing a lot of? Knee flexion and extension. Right, and actually, hip flexion and extension. Right, if you think of the kinetic chain, you can't just be hip, hip, be knee flexing and extending without the hip going along. It's actually the other way because the hips doing it primarily and the knees going along because the hips doing it. So, um, but since this cue, well, she didn't even say it was about knees, she just basically said hero pose is bad for runners, and she was looking for some help in analyzing that. So runners doing a lot of hip extension inflection and knee extension inflection. And whenever you have someone who's doing something repetitively, absolutely, It's it's an opportunity to look at, is there a risk that is there? Simply because someone is doing something over and over and over and over and over again without doing stuff in the other planes, right? So think about repetitive wrist injuries, even think about just practicing yoga every day without doing anything else. There's plenty of things that we do a lot of in a typical yoga practice that it would behoove us to do the converse of some of those things on some off days, right? so for runners okay fine so we have somebody who's constantly moving through hip flexion and extension and then we have a pose like hero where we're not really sure is she talking about the seated version when the knees are in full flexion or the reclined version where the hips are in extension let's say it's the seated version so when we're seated you know in my mind the seated variation of hero would potentially be more of a concern to the knee because the knees are on the ground, i.e. part of the foundation and in full flexion. So whenever you take a posture that has a request for a joint to do something in its fullest way, that's right there a potential for risk. Because what if someone's joints don't have the requisite range of motion to move in that full way? right? That right out of the gate is a potential problem. And this is one of those examples where the pose is asking for it. Unlike what I said before, which is teaching in the middle of the road, it's not like I can say in hero's pose, hey, don't bend your knees. It's just part of the pose. Now I could mitigate how much knee flexion there is by having them sit on a block, right? Ta-da. And then they don't have as much knee flexion, which is why that's a good modification. And the modification speaks to taking them out of full knee flexion into something more moderate. Now, if we go back to what we said, we said, oh, runners running, knee is constantly flex extension, flex extension, and then I do this pose where they're in full knee flexion. I don't know, maybe that's a connection point there. Maybe we would say, hey, why don't you do something where your knees are not Flexed? Why don't you do something where your knees are extended? Maybe that's part of the concern. The other thing that you need to think about is, um, or you could consider, is on the lateral aspect of the knee, you've got this conjoining uh, of the IT band on the knee, uh, the joint capsule. There's kind of a convergence of parts on that space there which is why sometimes people who have runners who have lateral aspect knee pain, upon evaluation in physical therapy, it comes out that their IT band's a little tight, right? That's, that's the insertion point. And they're constantly bending and flexing and bending and flexing and bending and flexing. But hero pose is a static posture. Um, however, if you do have some inflammation at the joint, at that area of convergence, yeah, coming into, coming into hero pose could potentially exacerbate that sensation of discomfort. It's the same thing if you have uh, kind of a tendency to push a lot off your arms and down dog, and you're locking out your knees, i.e., hyperextending, and you've created little micro tears at the origin of your hamstrings, i.e., the sitting bones. You might be walking around feeling like, oh, I just have this like discomfort at my sitting bones. So this is, again, I don't know the origin of that rationale, Heroes Pose is bad for runners, but I wanted to give you a little bit of the template for how I analyzed that particular concern so that you can now you know, use that in your own teaching. So in wrapping up here, I want to give you kind of some of the qualities of this template. So the first thing, and this is again, like here you are, you're taking a class, you hear something or you're in a training, you hear something, don't do this, don't do that. Uh, Stay away from this. Tell them to do this. Like this is a way that you can kind of start to analyze this, this stuff. So the first thing I would do is I would look at the anatomical actions of the pose. What joints are involved? What anatomical action are they taking? The second thing I would do is I would look at the muscles involved. Both concentrically, who's doing the work, and those that are passively lengthening or eccentrically lengthening. Okay, now already I'm going to say if you're unfamiliar with what these things are, you need to get on my waiting list for my uh, Blueprint Learning Program. This is the program that I offer to give teachers all the background. You know, and, and ultimately, guys, that's why I'm. I, I just can't. You know, just I I don't want to just keep answering your questions in a one off way. I want you to get the full story. It's so much more tedious for you to learn in a piecemeal way, so much better for you to learn in a comprehensive way. And my blueprint program gives you that opportunity. So if you go on my uh, website, right on the homepage, uh, the waitlist link is there for the blueprint learning program. I open enrollment for that every couple of months. And then I shut it down so I can support the teachers that enrolled. So do that. If this is kind of like you're scratching your head, like, what is she talking about? You got to get in that program. So, look at the anatomical actions of the pose. So, that's flex, extend, externally rotate, internally rotate, abduct, you know, adduct, lateral flexion, all that stuff. Second thing, look at the muscles involved, both concentrically contracting and those that are passively lengthening or eccentrically lengthening. The third thing is identify the joints that might be compromised depending on where they are in relation to the floor, how they're weighted, or impacted by gravity. So, this could be things like hey, I'm in triangle, don't lock your front knee right? So that, you know, potentially is speaking to the knee being potentially at risk of being hyperextended because the joint is more heavily weighted because it's in the front of the body and I'm hanging the upper body out over that leg, right? You kind of see how that goes. Um, another good example of that is the wrists in high-to-low up close to the ground, most at risk if the elbow isn't on top of it uh the fourth thing is work to gain a better understanding of the rationale being expressed for the concern or guideline shared so that's where it comes into play to like ask the questions right be that three-year-old kid why why did you say that well, i don't understand what well, you know obviously not in an annoying way and give up your desire to be right you're just asking questions you're just trying to get an understanding Um, The next thing is consider the impact of the group versus the individual. So when you hear some of these things and you're trying to analyze them, you're going to think about it from the point of view of, you know, hey, if I'm working with somebody one-on-one, I'm going to have a hell of a lot more of an opportunity to really work with that person and give them like a really good recipe for correcting something or like looking at their movement versus when I walk into a room with 20 people. So, like when someone says to me, Hey, I have this guy, he's always in my classes, and every time he does chair pose, his knees turn out. Can't, you know, ever get his knees straight, rides bikes a lot. What's going on there, right? We can talk about that generally, but that kind of student is going to need some corrective exercise assistance, um, which is more of a uh, exercise science term, more of a personal training term. Um, but in the context of yoga, he's going to need more one on one work for you to really get to the bottom of what's happening there. Um, the next thing is consider the impact of dynamic movement versus a static stretch. So if you're hearing some of these like statements and it's stuff about high to low push up versus stuff about hero pose, that's going to make a difference, right? As soon as we up the challenge and ask people to like move around. The risk is always greater because now their nervous system has more of an impact and they've got to coordinate things versus if I just have you do a pose and hold it for six breaths. You know, unless you're just sitting in your joints, the risk is a little bit lower. And then the last thing, consider the impact of frequency on the action. So things like, you know, I can't even think of a particular example, but just keep in mind that any of these like warnings or don't do this or don't do that. If it's something that's about a pose that you're doing every once in a while, probably less of an issue than if it's high to low pushup where you're doing it all the time. It's a dynamic movement. And my goodness, it would really, really behoove you to understand up and down and all around all the anatomy that's involved in that movement because they're doing it everywhere, every class, a lot, right? So you have to factor that in. Um, okay. So here's the deal. (laughs) Please don't hang up. Right. Because I do have a couple other things I didn't mention. We're at the end here. The first thing I want to say is I want to thank the person that left a really nice, uh, review on the podcast. And I'm going to try to pull it up as I'm sitting here talking to you guys. It basically was like, it's like, having teacher training over and over again, listening to these episodes. The email of the person, I I couldn't even repeat. But if you're listening and you're out there, I really appreciate the review. And um, if you're listening and you like this, I would love for you to write a review. iTunes loves reviews. And um, so it'd be great. And I would love to know what you think about it. I get a lot of people who join my Facebook group from the podcast. So I'm super psyched when I see people answer the admit questions and they say, oh, I listened to your podcast and, you know, I'd love to be part of the group. So that is another thing. If you are uh, not in my anatomy Facebook group and you are a teacher, because it's just for teachers, uh, just go on Facebook and search the bare bones yoga anatomy work group. And we've got almost a thousand teachers in there from all over the world. There are admission questions. You must answer them. You must have a profile picture. You can't be a business, you have to be a person. This all promotes conversation, transparency in the group. Uh, it's a great group of teachers. A lot of the content I shared today came from some really cool conversations I'd, ha- I'd had in the group. So people are just like asking stuff and you know we're having good conversations back and forth. I'm posting like educational content in there. So it's really, it's free, right? It's easy, you're on Facebook anyway, So why not have it be part of just learning and collaborating? So that's that. I don't want you to forget about the Costa Rica uh, retreat and training on the homepage. It's not till June. So we've got time to, as a global community, manage COVID. I I mentioned that. The last thing I want to say is don't forget, guys, my prior episode uh, or two back was the founder, Alon David, of the 90X Planner. And I talked about goal setting with him because his planner gives you the framework for keeping track of your goals. I have three of these beautiful planners in my apartment here in Boston that I offered to give out to three people who sent me a list of their goals for this year and who were willing to be on the podcast to talk about them. And I am like actually stunned that no one has put their hat in the ring for these. So I want you to go back and listen to that episode. If you're someone who procrastinates, who can't get things done, or maybe you're just someone who loves goal setting, this is for you. It's a beautiful planner, his whole entire system, um, and a chance to be on the podcast and be interviewed and kind of build some accountability into the goals that you set by telling us about them, right? Not to pressure you, but to get more clear, to put put it out there, put the energy out there. This is stuff I want to do. So, oh, and the one last thing, this week, (laughs) this week, I am offering a discount on my 200 page anatomy manual, which has just been fully revised. Uh, It's 94 bucks instead of 119. So $25 off. And it is, a great way for you with a book to start to do some self-study all around the topics that I've been talking about here. It's got all the poses, all the cues. I mean, not every pose, but all the major poses, all the cues, the anatomy for each one. And then around that chapter on cues, there's all these fundamental anatomy lessons, chapters on fascia, modifications, red flags, all this good stuff. Um, and so don't forget, you can get that as a disc- at a discount. If you're in my Facebook group, on my Facebook page, you'll see the link, or just DM me on Instagram or send me an email, right? My Instagram is barebonesyoga. My uh, email is karen at barebonesyoga.com. So I want to thank you so much for listening. I believe in you. I know that you are a fantastic, inquisitive teacher, a powerful, confident teacher, and I am honored to be part of your journey. I really, really, really am touched when people say they listen to this podcast, um, and I'm really, really honored to be part of your, your teaching path. So namaste, uh, love to all. Please, please stay healthy and you know, work to, to balance out your consumption of the news and your desire to stay informed with spending quiet time, eating healthy, getting good rest, and practicing yoga, going outside, getting fresh air, Um, and all of that so that, um, you know, in terms of what's happening in the world right now, um, we all individually take responsibility for ourselves and our health and we keep things in perspective. So I wish you all well, and I'll see you on the next episode.